Hey guys, my name is Mavi and I've spent the last 14 years in the plastic surgery and beauty industry, working alongside top board certified plastic surgeons. In that time, I've helped thousands of women in their surgical journey. My passion to educate and help women feel empowered is what led to what we now know as the Big Butts No Lies podcast. Join in on the fun as I talk to plastic surgery experts, friends, and real life patients about all things plastic surgery. Should be fun. Hey guys, do I have the episode for you this week? All about mommy makeovers. And at the end, you'll hear about something that nobody's really talking about, but everybody wants to know about. Listen till the end and you'll know exactly what we're talking about. This week's guest is a beautiful female plastic surgeon. And y'all know I'm all about girl power. And there's something special about the hands of a female plastic surgeon that I love. (laughs) (laughs) It's something about the attention to detail. It's something about, you know, they have these body parts too, and they kind of understand us better. I don't know what it is, but I am number one advocate for female plastic surgeons. And our guest today is a very gifted and very talented Dr. Christy Hustak. Good morning. (laughs) Dr. Hustak, I am excited to talk today because mommy makeovers is probably the number one thing I hear about next to BBLs. Mommy makeover, BBL. And I'm well, sure believe it or not, you can do a BBL with a mommy makeover. So definitely. It's great. So that, that's actually going to be one of the questions that, that I was going to talk about today. Let's do kind of a mock consultation. So some questions that you normally would hear or ask during a mommy makeover consultation. Yeah, I think first, it's good to start with what is a mommy makeover, right? Because that's the big question. So in general, a mommy makeover is addressing all those parts that change with pregnancy. So traditionally, it's your abdomen and it's your breasts. And then in the end, we'll talk a little bit about one area that we don't always address down below. Exactly. Um, but that's usually what it what it entails. And that can mean different things to different moms, you know, and particularly how many pregnancies you've had as well, how much weight gain you had, etc. You know, a woman with an A breast to begin with may not have stretched and dropped even with breastfeeding. And so she may not need a lift and implant may be just all she needs to fill volume or fat grafting, for example, so fat transfer to a breast may be all she needs to fill out that volume. And so that's why we, you know, seeing you in person helps us decide what kind of breast shape you want or which volume you want, you know, and that's, that's related to the engorgement and the breastfeeding for the most part. But even women that haven't breastfed, just those changes of engorgement and stretch can make you need to change your volume a little bit. And then for your abdomen, those muscles have to stretch to accommodate pregnancy and the skin stretches with it. There's some lucky mamas out there that have only had one baby that had fantastic genetic skin and their muscles went right back and their skin was nice and tight. But that's more the exception than the norm. I think most of us, particularly anybody that's had two or three babies, that skin has stretched and that muscle is stretched to the point of no return. And so that's when you kind of need a plastic surgeon. And that's definitely a much more functional complaint. You know, big old heavy droopy breasts can be functional as well. You can get back pain, shoulder pain and things like that, and maybe need even a reduction. But the muscle is is definitely a functional thing. You know, the ability to kind of tighten your abdomen and have that core strength so it takes strain off your back is super important from a function standpoint. And so that's when we talk about putting those muscles back together, which is a functional component. And then, of course, just 
redraping that skin and getting you a flat tummy again is some of that cosmetic portion of it. So that's really what a mommy makeover is, addressing your breast and your your tummy at the same time because we know those predictably change with pregnancy and it gets worse the more babies you have. Absolutely. Dr. Husek, on that note, answer this question for me. What do you think about having a tummy tuck but not doing the plication? The muscle Which, repair. The yeah. muscle repair. Do you? Th- so, yeah, the muscle repair is the bang for your buck. So, when you really talk about narrowing a waist, this is really related to that kind of internal corset. And that's why lots of women wear waist trainers, for example, because it really helps narrow and train those muscles. So, the muscle is really the bang for your buck. So, if you're going to go through with the whole tummy tuck, you know, definitely try to see if you're a good candidate for the muscle. And even if you're not separated dramatically, having just a little bit of extra strength of that is, is not a bad thing. Now, when you're not a good candidate is when there's a couple people that are not good candidates for the muscle repair. That's somebody who hasn't really lost a lot of weight. So that's somebody that has a lot of skin issues with it kind of hanging over and getting rashes and things like that. And so when somebody, you know, sometimes we'll go and take at least a skin, but if you have a lot of weight, what we call an intra-abdominal component. So if you're somebody who is full and thick and carries their weight inside around their organs, there's too much tissue in there that pushes against that repair that if I go in there and tighten it, it's going to rip open because you just have too much inside. And so that's a weight loss thing before we talk about tightening those muscles. So that, and then a lot of my patients that have maybe a chronic cough, for whatever reason, you know, and that's kind of, you know, the thing right now with the COVID and lots of people not really recovering their their coughing in their lungs as much as all that chronic coughing or anything that raises that pressure pushes against that repair multiple times per day and you can pop some sutures and restretch that out. So those are kind of the two candidates that aren't good for the muscle repair at the same time as a tummy tuck, somebody who's carrying a lot of their weight intra-abdominal. And the second is anybody that has issues with chronic, you know, intraperitoneal pressure. So chronic coughs, chronic constipation, you know, really aggressive, bad Crohn's disease, irritable bowel disease, anybody that bloats a lot in their abdomen, usually you want to get those things worked out first. Awesome. And can you tell us why is stable weight so important? Yeah, stable weight is important because this is a big old surgery, you know, and so we want you to maintain your investment. The last thing we want to do is do this big, huge surgery to make you feel better about yourself, restore some function, and then having to redo it because you either gained weight or lost a significant weight. So particularly speaking, I consider stable weight to be within 10 or 15 pounds. You know, there's a little bit of play there. You know, ideally, you know, lots of women fluctuate five pounds of just water weight a day. So, you know, there's there's a little bit of play there. I think 10 or 15 pounds is what I consider to be stable weight. And then stable weight after like a aggressive kind of weight loss surgery. So if you've had bypass or a sleeve, we really want you to wait six months with stable weight. So being that 10 pound fluctuations for six months, And usually we talk about it being about a year and a half after you lost all that weight. And so some of that is one, to maintain your investment, but two is to make sure you're healthy enough. You know, what we don't want is for your protein levels to be off because you're doing crash diets or there to be other health things, you know, where you gain weight afterwards. So we want to make sure that your, your body is ready to recover from a big surgery and that you can maintain it. So that's why it's so important to have stable weight. Perfect. That's what I want them to hear. <laughs> yeah. Because they're like, it's not just that we're being finicky, you know, there's there's medical reasons and then there's practical reasons. Exactly. And that's why I always push you guys, get as close as you can before you go and do this big investment and you're not even close to where you want to be. Absolutely. Well, and we, you know, because it's very easy to put weight back on, right? And so then tell me about it. Money, all this time recovering, you know, especially 
once you get past, you know, 35, 40, all of our metabolism shifts. I mean, we can talk about like menopause and shifts (laughs) and hormone shifts all day long. And so it wreaks toll on our bodies. You know, we have pregnancy and then we get the double hit when all of our hormones go away. So it's just, you know, we're always constantly struggling with this for sure, especially us in, you know, some of this Latin demographic, as you know, you know, I have (laughs) half half Mexican. So I, uh, you know, I I easily carry my weight around my midsection as well. Dr. Hustak, you touched on it a second ago about doing a tummy tuck and a BBL at the same time. Now I had my tummy tuck and BBL at the same time and I've done great. Everything was great. Now I know in these chat rooms that I'm seeing on Facebook and Instagram, it's they're like super, super against it. Super against doing a tummy tuck and a BBL at the same time. And what is very commonly heard out here is like, it's going to ruin your BBL. Yeah. So there's a couple schools of thought on this. One is when I'm going to do your tummy tuck, I'm going to, I have available fat, right? Even, you know, that fat from your, you know, tummy tuck that I'm going to throw in the trash from that skin, I can use that fat to transfer. I hate to throw away good, beautiful fat. And so if I'm doing lipo or cutting off fat for any reason, I would love to transfer it. I think the important thing to know is that recovering from a tummy tuck and then transferring that fat for a BBL is just more of a logistics problem. It can absolutely safely be done. The problem is, is how do you get comfortable, right? Because when you recover from a tummy tuck, you want to stay kind of crunched at the waist. And so, you know, lots of times we talk about sitting in a recliner and patting up your back and, you know, bending your knees so you can be crunched to protect your tummy tuck. Well, then that you have to sit on your booty when you do that, right? Which is kind of, (laughs) lots of times we talk about staying off your booty. So luckily there's fantastic pillows these days that we can kind of position you with the booty pillows to release pressure. And then kind of some of the restrictions as far as like getting up every two hours just to get some blood flow to that fat in your booty and making sure that you're not staying in one position 24-7. Reality is you're going to lose a little bit of fat and that's okay. You know, most of us, if we're transferring that fat at the same time of a tummy tuck, we're going to overcompensate for those areas we know we'll lose it. So if your primary goal is your BBL, you know, you you may want to do them separately, or you may just want to know that you may need a second stage. You know, if, but if your your primary goal is to kind of reshape your body, absolutely do that BBL at the same time because you would hate to throw away that usable fat. You guys, I did mine at the same time, and let me tell y'all how I got comfortable in bed. I slept like a queen. I had a pillow under each arm, a pillow under my lower back, and a pillow underneath my knees. So my booty was kind of suspended between the two pillows. I was still hunched over, like I was still hunched over for my tummy tuck, but I wasn't applying all that pressure on my booty. And I had a very nice, easy recovery. So that's just how I did it. Take that information. And if you want to do your BBL staged, go for it. But it can be done together. It's not. Absolutely. I think it's very common now that they're like, oh, no, you can't do it together. No, no, no. You have to stage it. No, you don't. Right. Yeah. No, it definitely (laughs) can be done. I agree with you wholeheartedly. But it's okay, like you said, to stage it too. So, Which is fine. Okay. So answer this question for me. And I've gotten this question in my DMs a couple times. And I'm really interested. I don't know what they're hearing or what's being said out there, but they're interested in knowing the fat grafting methods of processing the fat? Mm. Oh, that's an interesting question. So for the most part, it doesn't matter. (laughs) You know, it really doesn't. (laughs) This is definitely absolutely a marketing ploy, right? Where, oh, mine is the best. 
all of our data in the world of plastic surgery does not suggest that the processing makes the fat. It's the technique and how you inject the fat. So we've, I mean, studied for for five or six years now different methods of processing fat. We actually send fat samples with different processing to check the viability of the fat to see if that kind of impacts it. If we use that kind of vibration or power assistance, if we use laser devices, if we use traditional liposuction, if we use a closed system, you know, so we've studied this at our own facility for years. And the reality is there's so many different ways to do this with good fat viability. It's more in the technique that you do it. And so I think this idea like, ooh, you know, I'll give you, you know, you'll get 55% fat take if I do this is is kind of a little bit of hubris. None of that really matters <laughs> in any of our data. It's just, it's just ploys. And I can tell you there's not one study out there that says with my technique, this is the best one and I get the best take. That's somebody just marketing term. Now we want to make sure you're safe and things like that. Luckily, you know, in, in the United States, we don't have lots of issues with fat infections and things like that. And uh, we can do a whole nother conversation on the safety of the techniques of, of BBLs because really that's the hot topic right now. You know, how doc, to make sure and keep this Dr. Hustek, I think you and I will close this one, close this episode, and then we'll make a whole nother episode just on BBL safety. Oh, I bet it's a hot topic for sure. But yeah, no, the re- but the take home is fat grafting process, how you process that fat. It does not matter for the most part. It's more the skill of your surgeon injecting it and the technique they're using. That's what's important. None of this other stuff about, you know, how you how you process it. That's all marketing. Exactly. Y'all heard it from her. <laughs> it's a marketing, it's a marketing tool. Okay. Yep. So let's talk about breasts. So in the mommy makeover, a lot of women do their breast. Um, how would a woman know if she needs a lift? Or just an implant or both. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. Or both. So shape and volume are the main concerns. So I think one easy way to know whether or not you need a lift is if you're kind of standing looking in the mirror, you can do what's called a pencil test. So if you can put kind of a pencil underneath, just one pencil underneath your breast, you're kind of on the verge that if you don't, if you just need some volume, an implant may be able to pick that whole envelope up and lift it. Now, if you can fit like a whole box of crayons underneath there or two or three pencils, your chances of needing a lift are pretty high. Usually you'd need significant volume to lift that skin envelope enough. And so that's when we talk about lifting that up. And that's in relation to where your nipple is too. So if your nipple is kind of right at that fold, so if you put a pencil, if you're staring at a mirror naked and you put a pencil underneath your fold and it's, it's held there. If your nipple's right at that location, you're kind of in an in-between zone. But if it's below that, then you absolutely need a lift. So it's kind of kind of just where that nipple is in relation to your fold and how much extra skin you have. And so, you know, I'm somebody that if I can save you a scar on your beautiful breast, I'm always going to try to do that and sacrifice maybe your nipple being a little bit lower for improved volume with an implant, for example, or fat grafting. But there are just, you know, a huge subset of us that just need that skin redraped and that nipple lifted. And that's putting scars on your breast. But the scars, well, you're going to have scars anywhere where they, they cut on you. I want y'all to know. I yeah, get this question no all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there is no such thing as a scarless, you know, breast to lift for sure. Now, there, you know, there's a couple of techniques where people really talk about doing minimal scars. And there's, you know, a scar just around your areola or your, you know, dark spot around your nipple. There's a scar that's a lollipop. So the one around your areola and straight down. And then there's one that's an anchor scar that goes in your fold. So really, when we're talking about the one that's the donut lift, that really is not powerful for a lift. So that's good if you want to move your areola, you know, a centimeter to the right, a centimeter to the left, a centimeter up, then that can be powerful. But if you actually 
actually want to lift the whole breast, which is that donut lift, it doesn't happen. It's been kind of proven year after year that that's not robust enough to lift your nipple. That's mostly just to make your, your nipple smaller, your areola smaller, and maybe change the position slightly. So, you know, the lollipop lift or the anchor lift are kind of the big, the big ones. These scars will fade, absolutely. But that up and down one, so that vertical scar of the lollipop is actually one of the most important scars for narrowing your breast. Most women that have droopy breasts, they have kind of a rectangular appearance to it, right? Which is not natural. You kind of want that teardroppy or round shape. And so that vertical one is what narrows that breast and sweeps it in so it's not a squared box anymore. You know, so this idea that you can put one around the aerial ledge, just one in the fold and not have the vertical lift, it majority of the time has a very squared appearance, which is very unnatural. So most of the time I tell you, if you need a lift, just take the vertical lift because that's going to change your shape so dramatically. And that scar is going to fade. It just is probably going to take a couple years to do it for sure. You guys, mine, mine, you can barely see them in the front. Like it's almost blends in with my skin. I mean, I, I think it's not a scar that becomes hypertrophic as often as other scars. Totally agree. Okay. Last question on this part of mommy makeovers. What is a typical recovery time that a patient can expect when they do a combo tummy tuck breast procedure? And to add to that, does adding more procedures add more recovery time? Gotcha. So really, the majority of the recovery is all related to the tummy tuck. Adding a breast to it does not really add much to your recovery. Adding fat transfer does not add much to your recovery. Adding lipo doesn't add much to your recovery. Adding tightening your vagina does not add much to your recovery. The majority of your recovery is all related to your tummy tuck. You know, a tummy tuck is the highest recovery of any procedure we do in plastic surgery. And that's because, you know, you don't realize how much you use your core. Every time you get in and out of a chair, in and out of bed, standing to sitting. I mean, you use your core all the time and way more than you realize until you're, you know, you go to use it right away after tummy tuck surgery. So <laughs> that first time you, you giggle, yeah. oh, it kills you. Oh, <laughs> that yeah. first so giggle or giggles, that first the, cough. The cough. Yep. <laughs> first time you go to like pee or, you know, you have a bowel movement, bowel you're movement. like, this is uh-huh. the worst thing in the world. Yeah. So it's all related to that tummy tuck. You know, mo- I did not have a C-section. I had all vaginal deliveries, but most of my C-section patients tell me that it's, you know, maybe even slightly better than a C-section because I'm not cutting your muscles. I'm tightening the covering of your muscles. The difference is you don't have a cute old baby to, you know, distract you from all that discomfort. All so pain. <laughs> yeah. So it's just you, you know, and, and traditionally we don't put you on a lot of ibuprofen after C-section. You don't have as much risk of a, of a blood collection or a hematoma. And so we do a lot of uh, high dose ibuprofen after a C-section where we don't with a tummy tuck. And so I think there's something to that recovery as well. And we'll pull in your skin super tight and all those things where after a C-section, you have extra skin. So you're not worrying about that tightness either. So there's some differences, but certainly that, you know, that the muscle tightening is really the most uncomfortable part. And that's a solid six to eight weeks for full recovery. You can't use those muscles till that time frame because that's when it's strong enough. Six to eight weeks is when scar tissue in general is about 85 the percent strength of native tissue. And so really until it gets to that zone, you can't stress it out or you can pop those sutures. And so you, that doesn't mean you can't walk and things like that. It just means you can't stress your repair against resistance. And so a solid six to eight weeks to recover from your tummy tuck, just anticipate that. You know, you'll be 
functional. You'll be able to, you know, when you're off your pain pills in a couple of weeks, you'll be able to, you know, take your kids to school and get them ready. You're just not going to be able to do a lot of heavy lifting. You know, you're going to have to keep that under five or 10 pounds. So, you know, there's a very big upfront investment, but the bang for your buck is there without a question. And adding your breasts or lipo or transfers, that does not add much to recovery at all. That's awesome to hear because I tell them it doesn't really, the tummy tuck is the painful recovery. Yes. The other things you, you almost forget about the the rest of it. (laughs) Right. Exactly. You're like, oh, did I, you know, did uh, did, I did have a little bit of lipo back here. I forgot. Right. Exactly. Because it is, it's just all related to your abdomen. And there's some good tricks we're doing these days. A lot of us call it kind of a quick recovery protocol. So we inject some long acting pain medication that releases over three days. So we put that in your muscle repair around your breast, down by your vagina, if we do it down there. And that's Um, expiral. You guys, that's, that's called expiral. Uh-huh. Yep. And so most surgeons offer that nowadays because it's such a game changer. It really reduces the amount of narcotics and pain pills you have, which of course reduces your nausea and your constipation and all those things that come with narcotic pain pills. So, and the other thing a lot of us are doing is giving you a cousin of ibuprofen. It's called Celebrex. So it's like a super ibuprofen, but it doesn't make you bleed. It's not a blood thinner in the same way that ibuprofen is. And so, but it has that anti-inflammatory kind of muscle spasmy benefit, which is fantastic. Narcotics don't have that. So narcotics are good at dulling surgical cutting pain, but it's not good at muscle pain. And so that's why the Celebrex is fantastic. So you can take that and you can take a nerve pain medication. There's a couple out there. Gabapentin is the most common. But the idea with this is that it blunts your entire nerve response. So you take this the night before surgery and you continue it after surgery. And it never lets you mount a pain response. So even though you may be in pain, your body shuts off that signal to your brain. So you never perceive it, if that makes sense. So it's a nice little trick where I have some tummy tucks that take, you know, four or five pain pills, but not 90 like we used to give them, which is kind of a dramatically different recovery, I think. I had this protocol and I can yeah. tell you, I, my recovery was great. I was back at work faster than I had to be because I felt yeah. great. I didn't want to be, you know, laying around. I'm ready. Let's go back to work. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, and I think, you know, obviously we're all moms, right? Getting a mommy makeover. And so like we, life happens, right? You don't have the luxury of being laid up. And I think that's what a lot of women really don't do this when they want to do it because, you know, we're worrying about our family, you know, oh, my kids can't be without me for this amount of time. My husband can't be without me. You know, I have too many things to do that nobody else can do. And so we forget about ourselves sometimes. So I think it's nice to have maybe a little bit of the best of both worlds. You can have a procedure that you need and you want without sacrificing what you perceive to be your role with the family. So you can get back a little bit quicker to doing what you want and what you love to do with your family for sure. And so usually back to work at about what would you say? I say two weeks. If you have it, you know, nowadays a lot of people are doing desk jobs. And so I have some people go back even as early as one week if it's a low intensity desk job. But two weeks is the safe answer. You know, by then you should be off pain pills, you're able to drive, your drains are out if you have drains and everything's a little more stable. Um, you're not moving very quick at all, you know, and I don't advocate going back to work while you're still on pain pills, you know. No, I would hate for not. you to write an email to, you know, Bob <laughs> that's like, I hate you, Bob, you know, or something <laughs> just because you're on pain pills. Yeah. Uh, sorry for what I said while I was under the influence of my medications. <laughs> yes, my recovery meds. Yes, I take that all back. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's jump into you guys. So this is the part that Nobody's talking to y'all about. And I told y'all, I'm going to tell you everything I know about the industry. And this is a little secret almost because women don't know 
to look for it or even ask for it or that there's even anything to do for it. So what I'm talking about is vaginal rejuvenation. And Dr. Hustak here is the queen of vaginal rejuvenation. And we're going to talk about it. Let's dive into it. (laughs) You know, it's so funny because just last night, I had a good friend of mine reach out and said, Hey, I know you're in the spectrum. I just went to my OBGYN. She's in her 50s. I just went to my OBGYN and it's a new one. And they said that my vagina was wide open. I have some kind of rough area towards the back. And this was all childbirth related and that she could tighten it for me. But insurance usually doesn't cover it because it's considered cosmetic. But she's like, I do, you know, I did look and I do have a raw spot down there. I just lived with it. My youngest baby's 12 years old. I didn't know this was a thing. Can you tell me more? And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm in the spectrum. And here I have a good friend of mine that's like, I've lived with this for 12 years and I just had no idea anything could be done. And I just lived with it. So this is why it's so good to have these conversations because most of us know that if we've had a baby, things just shift. They don't feel the same. You know, it's lots just of different. People, it's just different and a little bit of difference. Okay. But just like, you know, there's so many things we can do down here to get your groove back, right? You don't have to live like this if that's something that you're interested in. So the vagina stretches just like any other part of your body, right? It's meant to accommodate. It's meant to stretch to accommodate intercourse and to accommodate having babies. So even if you were somebody who had a C-section and that baby didn't come down your vaginal vault, Just the act of sitting on your pelvic floor stretches those muscles. So you can still have some symptoms, even if you didn't have vaginal birth. Obviously, if you had two, three vaginal births, your symptoms are more commonly the worst. But it doesn't have to be vaginal birth to have symptoms down here. So and these things will will change with time too and, and hormone levels and stuff too. So it's not like, oh, only mommies need vaginal rejuvenation. I have young gals that just want to be tighter that have never had a baby. And I have older ladies that are perimenopausal that have dry that want some rejuvenation. So this follows the entire spectrum of our life. It's just more <laughs> pronounced when, when you've had babies, right? So it's a great time to do it is when you're having your mommy makeover. You're laid up anyways. And this is definitely one of those things like Mavi talked about where I have lots of gals tell me, Doc, are you sure you tighten your vagina? I don't feel anything down there. So it's not until like a week later that they go to have their first bowel movement or something like that. They're like, oh, yep, nope, you were there. Got it. But it really does not add much to your recovery for sure. So... So there's lots of surgical tightening to put those muscles back together, to close down the opening. You know, if you had an episiotomy and kind of some painful scar tissue or some nerves that aren't working great down there with that muscle, we can tighten up the muscle again and things like that. So lots of intra vaginal work can be done at the same time, you know, just to make your sensation better to close your hole. So you're not making tons of moisture or tons of dryness. You know, there's no reason why you can't have better sex after having a baby. What are some of the symptoms or? Yeah. Most women complain. Yeah. Why they do. Most women complain of just not feeling their partner like they used to. So that's the main complaint that they just feel lax. It's almost like a pinball in there and they just can't clamp down or generate enough friction where it's pleasurable for them. Sometimes their partner. Lots of people will talk about air escape or queefing where they just, you know, and that's because it's so open. And so there gets pulled air so much that you can't keep it closed enough to keep that air from kind of getting in there and getting out. Moisture, lots of women, moisture changes. Either it's dry because it's wide open or conversely, it's like way too wet and slippery because your body's constantly being stimulated to make more lubrication because it's wide open. And so lots of women get a lot of friction on the on the backside. So as things kind of get lax and fall out, like your yoga pants and, and things like that and certain activities like bike riding causes tons of friction, right? And that 
section between your vagina and your your rectum, what we call the perineum, and it gets raw and that's super uncomfortable. So that and urine leakage, that's a very common complaint and um, chronic constipation. You know, some gals will tell me that they have to put a finger inside of their vagina and push down to have a bowel movement. And, you know, it's amazing how sometimes when I ask that question, how many times I'll get, oh my God, how did you know? <laughs> you know, because that's like, wow. you definitely don't talk about that to anybody. And so it's really interesting when when these chronic constipation cows, because that muscle back there on the backside of your vagina is near your rectum. So it kind of helps control both of those things. So if you're constantly constipated, it's going to go into your vagina because it's the path of least resistance. And so there's a lot of women that are, when they get really constipated, have to put their finger in their vagina to push down to have a bowel movement. And so it's nice to be able to tighten those muscles and put everything back anatomically where it needs to go where it got stretched with pregnancy for sure. I had never heard that. You taught me something this morning. There you go. More than one thing, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I had not heard that before. So there's pretty much if you have any of the symptoms where you're needing more moisture, if you're needing tightness, that's all on the inside. Let's yes. talk about the outside. Yeah. So the, you know, that whole area kind of stretches and drops a little bit too, just with kind of the encouragement of pregnancy. Um, you know, for the most part, some people complain of like the inner lips or the labia getting longer. Lots of times it's not necessary that they're longer per se. Sometimes they do get stretched with hormone changes of pregnancy, but it's more just everything shifted and stretched and pulled. And a lot of these gals will tell you, oh, I always felt like I had bigger labia when I was younger, but after pregnancy, they became more pronounced, more dark, more uncomfortable because they're just stretched to a different position. And so, you know, kind of doing a little labial tuck or labial reduction is fantastic. Kind of putting those back inside the, the outer lips. So it's a little more kind of balanced. You know, and the outer lips, sometimes we have to lift those up or tuck those in as well, the, the labia majora, we call them. But lots of times, the the tummy tuck, when we lift that area up right above your pelvic bone, that kind of lifts some of the outer lips as well. So that's kind of nice because it's almost a, a two-for-one sometimes. So make sure your tummy tuck surgeon's looking at what we call the mons. So making sure to lift all that below as well. And I that's think, a pretty common with most of it, yeah. I think that's a female plastic surgeon thing. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> I think it is because I've seen a lot of tummy tucks that do not address the mons. And ladies, you want your mons addressed at the same time as your tummy tuck. Because yes, if I mean, not, yeah. it looks like a bulge in your pants. You have a flat tummy, flat, and then it looks like a bulge if it's not addressed. So definitely, that's a good point. Yeah. And I guess maybe because I, I have a vagina, I'm always like, oh, no, we got to pull that up. <laughs> You know, defatted and get it nice and balanced and useful again for sure. See, it's a fee. I think it's a female plastic surgeon thing. I'm gonna say it is because I feel it. Is. Okay, <laughs> you heard it here. And yeah. you heard it here, you guys. Okay, so tell our listeners how are the procedures done? Is there a lot of discomfort? What about sensation? Yeah. Oh, that's a good question. So the nice thing is, because that's the biggest scare, right? Is like, oh my gosh, is my sensation going to be impacted? The answer is no. There, If anything, this is going to make your sensation better down here, but it's certainly not going to make it worse. You know, the especially with the outer lips, the idea is to give you better access to the nerves that give you better sensation, right? And the same thing intravaginally. I want to tighten all those muscles so you have a better chance of being stimulated in your zones that are erogenous. So all of these procedures are to make your sensation better, not to make it worse. And and our data supports that too. So, you know, this this is not something that should make your, you know, 
you not be able to have an orgasm. Oh my God, we would never, I would be out of business if I had the potential <laughs> to not make you have an orgasm. I mean, I would never do it. Like, that's ridiculous. So no, this is, this is to make sensation better. But you know, a couple of us in this country do these awake under local. So you don't have to go to surgery for it. But if I'm do if I'm doing a mommy makeover, it makes way more sense to do it at the exact same time. But I have a special technique that I developed, I don't know, I guess just under a decade ago where I can numb your whole floor in order to do this awake under local. And so that's a beautiful thing to do intravaginal work and external stuff. Most people in the country will do outside stuff, awake under local. It's more the inside stuff that, that most people don't just because it's a little quicker and, and, you know, like to do it asleep. You know, it's a lot of girl chat. You know, it takes me a good hour and a half and you got to sit in my operating room table and listen to music. But this area gets numb very easily. You know, it's, it's meant for reproduction, right? I always joke that this, you know, the vagina, God knew what he was doing. It can get beat to hell and survive. <laughs> and otherwise we wouldn't procreate. So, you know, so this heals beautifully. It numbs very easily. And so it's a very forgiving structure. It rarely gets infected. All those things make it really easy to do these procedures awake under local. And so I can, you know, numb it up, block all these nerves, tighten internal muscles. There's some lasers you can do to kind of lift your bladder up and things like that. You can fat graft down here. You can use your own blood and strategically place it in areas like your clitoris and that top part of your vagina to make sex better and pop your bladder up. So there's lots of cool stuff we can do. And the majority of the time you do not have to go to sleep for and have to go to surgery for, which I think is a great benefit for a lot of mommies. You know, you can pop in, you can drive yourself home. You don't even have to tell anybody. Uh, that's a great benefit when you're talking about downstairs stuff. How long is the recovery? You know, so no sex for six weeks, just like having a baby. And again, that six weeks time point is a collagen elastic thing. Like that's mother nature. And that's why so many procedures that we talk about are six to eight weeks from that standpoint. But you know, that scar tissue's got to get strong enough that can tolerate tampons and, and intercourse. So a solid six weeks for that. All the sutures are dissolvable. So you don't need to, to worry about that. You're, again, down here, you're functional. You know, you may not want to do like a Peloton bike ride for, you know, a good three weeks because that pressure down there is just kind of uncomfortable. But you're functional. You, you know, I want you walking around. We don't put you on bed rest by any means, you know. So again, very similar when you had the baby for us gals that have had episiotomies. It's the same thing. You're uncomfortable. You're tender. You're barely tapping when you're wiping but you're totally functional. So that's that's a nice thing about it. That is nice because you really don't have to tell anybody. Nobody exactly. has to know. It can be your secret. Yeah, secret. Just sure. your partner knows and that's it. And that's it. And so, yep, I've had one the other day that was so excited. She's like, oh my God, he's treating me like a new toy. You know, she's like, because <laughs> he's just so gentle. He's so excited for six weeks from now to, to get back in, you know? <laughs> <laughs> he's like, whatever you need, I got you, baby. <laughs> whatever you need, baby. Yep. <laughs> so uh, it's neat to kind of reinvigorate, you know, let them feel more confident. I mean, that's what this is, is confidence, right? So much of our sexuality as women is in our brain. So if we are, even if we weren't uncomfortable down below, but if you're thinking about, oh my gosh, my lips are so big. Oh, turn to the side. You're you're disconnecting from your sensations. And so you're never going to get into it if you're just thinking about it too much, right? So it's kind of nice just to take that variable out so you can just sit back and enjoy and be confident in yourself. And that's a, I think that's a great benefit. A great benefit. And actually a great benefit from a mommy makeover in general. You guys, my mommy makeover changed my life. I will continue to say it. I It's... I honestly believe that I would not have pushed myself or had the confidence to launch a podcast if I didn't feel good about what I'm seeing in the mirror. And mm -hmm. it changed my life. And I, I mean, you guys, 
you got to do it. If you're thinking about it, don't, of course, if you're thinking about it, if it's something that you've been interested in and you really just needed that push, here's that push. (laughs) Book your consult. Yeah, it is. it's life changing. Like you said, you know, you can't, rec- we only get one life. So you might as well enjoy the body you're in for sure. Absolutely. So Dr. Husek, tell my friends where they can find you. Yeah. So you can find me in a couple different ways. I'm over in Houston, Texas at the Aesthetic Center for Plastic Surgery. So there's eight of us surgeons. Um, I was the only female until uh, last month where we brought on one more female who's fantastic as well. So I'm here in Houston, Texas at ChristyHustackMD.com. Or you can call my patient coordinator, Claire. Our direct line is 713-354-5145. And I'd love to chat a little bit more and see how I can help you get your groove back. Okay, Dr. Hustack, tell us... If it was your best friend about to have surgery, what piece of advice would you give to her? Oh, you know, I would probably tell them to give yourself plenty of time to heal. So whatever the doctor tells you for recovery time, give yourself two days extra, not a crazy amount of time, but give yourself two extra days. Because I think most of us are, you know, people that just want to get back to life very quickly. We want to be everything to everybody. And this is such a big surgery that you don't want to rush yourself from healing and give yourself other troubles like breaking open a wound or, you know, oh, I got to go catch the soccer game and then you get an infection because you're sweaty. So give yourself some time and permission to heal. And so whenever you think you're ready, you know, give yourself a day or two extra just to make sure everything's squared away. That way everything heals perfectly and you don't have to worry about anything after that. What a beautiful piece of advice. Yes. Give yourself that time to recover and don't rush yourself. I love it. Definitely. (laughs) Thank you for that. All right, you guys. And you tell Claire that you heard Dr. Hustock on Big Butts No Lies and your consultation will be complimentary till November 30th. Thank you You for doing that, Dr. Hustock, for our girls. Oh my gosh, absolutely. I'd love love to chat more. Absolutely. All right, you guys, and that's it for today's episode. I think what y'all learned today, you can go spread the word. Tell your friends. Did you know there's something you can do to make more moisture? Did you know that you can get all of that taken care of? Tell your friends. Spread the word. No, Nobody needs to be dry. Yeah. <laughs> So spread the word. And if y'all want to book a consultation, call Claire with Dr. Christy Hustak. Thanks, Mavi, for having me. Have a great day. I would like to end this episode with a huge thank you to all of our listeners. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to subscribe to Big Butts No Lies Podcast and follow us on Instagram at Big Butts No Lies Podcast. If you have a topic you want me to cover, please send it to the DM. If you know anyone on their plastic surgery journey, be sure to recommend them the show. You can also visit us on our website, bigbuttsnolies.com. You'll see the online surgical recovery store. We're adding new items all the time. If there's something you think I need to have on there, send me a DM. (laughs) Don't forget to leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget, new episodes every Monday. I'll see you then.